listening to? The Shins. You know them? No. You gotta hear this one song. It'll change your life, I swear. Oh, I'm sorry. You have to, uh, get to fill out your forms. Conundrum. Think you could, uh, maybe listen yeah, while you could? I think I can handle it. Yeah. Good, I like it. Thanks, James. Thanks, Katie. Uh, please keep that passage at hand um, and, and please pray with me as we prepare to look at God's word. Lord, we ask that you would give us uh, open ears to hear your word, um, open hearts to receive it and the will to put it into practice. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, I wonder if you have ever had a conversation like this. We're going to see a clip. It involves two people. It's from a movie. It involves a girl called Sam and a guy called Andrew. And I wonder if you've ever had an encounter or been part of a conversation like this. Michaela, can you play the clip, please? What are you listening to? The Shins. You know them? No. You gotta hear this one song. It'll change your life, I swear. Oh, I'm sorry. You have to, uh, get to fill out your forms. Conundrum. I think you could, uh, maybe listen yeah, while you could. Yeah, okay. Good, I like it. I wonder if you've ever been part of a conversation like that. That was an experience I had many times in my younger days, especially when my friends and I were really into music. I don't know if you caught exactly what was said at the very beginning of that. He asked, what are you listening to? As she goes to put the headphones on, and he, she says the name of the band, The Shins, and she says, have you heard them? And he says, no. And suddenly she gets that look on her face, that, you know, that look that you don't know what you're missing out on, look. And she thrusts them at him and she says, well, I'll get to that in a moment. But let me ask you, in that moment, what is Sam doing? Is she merely playing a song to another person? Well, she is doing that. But she's doing more than that, isn't she? She's promoting a song to another person. And not just any song. This is what she said, if you didn't catch it at the beginning. She says, oh, you've got to listen to this one song. It'll change your life. I swear. It'll change your life. What Sam is doing in that moment, if you will indulge me, is she is bearing witness to a song. 
a song that she believes is so great, so important, it will be life-changing for this guy that she's just met. Now, of course, as she does that, she's exaggerating. She doesn't really mean it will change his life in some meaningful way. But we do that, don't we? Maybe you've been part of a conversation like that. Maybe it's been music. You've got a band or a song that you love and you just want someone else to experience them. You honestly think it will make their life better. Maybe it's a movie or a TV show or maybe it's a particular food that you like or, or a health product. And I think what's interesting about these things that we get so passionate about is that they're not really all that important. They're the things that we get really worked up about. And they almost certainly won't change our lives if we do or don't use them or, or, or experience them. And yet we just have to tell people about them. And as we turn to John chapter 1, the passage that was just read for us, we see a similar dynamic playing out, except what we see in John chapter 1 is people bearing witness to something truly important, to someone truly important, bearing witness to true greatness, Jesus whom we were introduced to last week in the prologue, the Word become flesh. And I suppose if this passage could have a motto that sums it all up, it could be a restatement of what Sam says to Andrew in that clip. You've got to meet this one man. He'll change your life, I swear. And so as Mike said at the beginning, we're continuing our Believe and Live series looking at John's Gospel. And what we do this week is, as Mike said, we, we move from the lofty, magnificent heights of the prologue into, into human history. And as we do that, what we see is that gospel witness, people telling other people about Jesus, gospel witness is a key part of God's purposes. And if telling people, if people telling other people about Jesus is a key part of God's purposes, then that means it's a key part of the Christian life because we're people. It involves us. And so that's what we're going to consider as we look at this passage. What is the, the nature and the place of gospel witness? And we're going to look at it in two parts. And you've got an outline there in your uh, service um, sheet if you'd like to follow along. You'll see there it's got a number of points. And the two points that kind of frame this passage are that we're going to look at in turn as we're going to look at first of all the content of gospel witness what is it what constitutes gospel witness legitimate true gospel witness and secondly what is the consequence of gospel witness what happens what's the result when gospel witness takes place the content and the consequence of gospel witness so please look with me as we consider the content of gospel witness and after talking about the Word become flesh, the narrative picks up with John the Baptist. But it doesn't pick up with him doing any actual baptizing. We read in verse 19, this is John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? And so John's doing his baptism ministry, he's claiming to speak for God. And so the religious leaders in Jerusalem, the religious capital, they, they kind of want to know what's his story. And so they send this delegation of priests and Levites, all those who work in the temple, and Pharisees are probably a part of that too, and they want to know exactly who Jesus is, who John is. And as readers of the prologue, we know who John is. In verse 14, John, the author of the gospel, told us. He said, John 
the Baptist came as a witness to the light, to testify to the light. The light is Jesus, the Messiah. But this delegation doesn't know that. And so they come to him and they want to know, is he claiming to be some important end-time figure? The, the big one, the Messiah? Is that you? Or Elijah? Elijah was anticipated to come before the Messiah? Or maybe this other end-time figure, the prophet? And John's answer to every single one of those is an emphatic no. In fact, John denies being anything other than, you may see it there, and it's great, he quotes from Isaiah there, other than a voice. And he says, it's not about me, John says. What's important is what I'm talking about, who I'm talking about. What is important is the content of my witness. There's someone else, actually. Someone, in fact, who stands among you right now, who appears to be just like you and me. You don't know him yet, because he appears to be just like you and me. But he is the one I'm on about. He's the one you need to know about. He, he is surpassingly great. And then as the narrative moves forward, seemingly just like that, this surpassingly great one turns up. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a telling, a telling first public title to be applied to Jesus. Because this is the first time Jesus has had a title applied to him in public. And John has all been about pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus turns up, the title that he gives him is the Lamb of God. What John is concerned with first and foremost is letting people know that Jesus is here to deal with sin. Jesus has come to deal with sin. The reference is to the Jewish sacrificial system where a lamb was slaughtered on behalf of the people to pay for their sin. And John says, that whole system, that whole system has a shelf life. And its expiration date is now. Because the true Lamb of God has just turned up. Jesus, this man just walking before us by the Jordan, that's him. He is that Lamb. And he will pay for sin, not just once and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. He will pay for sin once and for all. And spoiler alert, if we flip fast forward to the end of John's Gospel, we see that's exactly what's happened. Jesus goes to the cross, a place dedicated to the destruction of those who are guilty. And yet he goes there completely innocent. Not just innocent of one particular crime, innocent full stop. No sin. Like, like a lamb without blemish. And he's crucified. And on that cross, as Jesus dies, as the song that we sing says, the wrath of God is satisfied. And when Jesus cries out, it is finished, he cries out as the Lamb of God who has made the ultimate sacrifice for sin and taken its, its, its penalty and its power away for good. And, and not just sin for the Jewish people. Do you see that? I mean, this is a reference to the Jewish sacrificial system, but John doesn't say the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the Jews. He says the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as Jesus dies on the cross, he dies for the sin of the world. Not just those who are existing in the world at that moment in time, those who have ever existed and will ever exist until God the Creator brings human history 
to its conclusion. This is the content of gospel witness. This, that Jesus as Messiah, as Christ, is the sin-bearing Lamb of God, that is central to his identity. And so it's central to John's testimony about Jesus. And so what this means for us is that it's not enough for us just to talk about Jesus in generalities. And particularly our quasi-Christian culture loves to do that. And so it's not just enough to talk about Jesus as teacher, although he is that. It's not enough just to talk about Jesus as king, although he is that. It's not even enough just to talk about Jesus as God, even though he certainly is that. All those things are true of Jesus. They are part of who he is. And all of those are titles that, if you read through the passage with James and Katie, you would have seen, are applied to Jesus in this passage. He is rabbi. He is Messiah. He is king. He is son of God. But if we don't ever talk about Jesus as the one who has dealt with sin, then our gospel witness lacks its true, its truly life-changing content. Because Jesus coming to take away sin by dying in our place, that's the answer to every problem that this world and its people faces. Every problem. That's what we need to tell people. And when we tell people that, then they respond one way or another. But when they grasp that, and they accept that, and they believe that, then they respond in faith, and they're transformed. Which leads us to the second point, the consequence of gospel witness. That is, what happens as a result of gospel witness? What happens as a result of preaching this gospel, this content? Well, the remainder of John chapter 1, it shows us, doesn't it? We see, we see in the rest of the chapter something of a chain reaction that is triggered by John's testimony. First, his two disciples follow Jesus, verse 37. One of them turns out to be Andrew, the brother of a guy called Simon Peter. And after spending all day with Jesus, what does Andrew do? Does he just go home and sit up and go, Wow, I met the Messiah. How good is that for me? Now we read that the first thing he does is go and find someone, his brother, and he brings Simon to Jesus. And then Philip, he encounters Jesus. We see Jesus directly calling Philip, which in this particular narrative is unique. And he says, follow me, and Philip does. But then Philip, does he just go home and go, wow, I got called by the Messiah. How great is that for me? No, he goes and finds Nathaniel. And he tells Nathaniel about Jesus. And Nathaniel, he's a bit skeptical at the beginning. But then he still comes and sees Jesus. And when he encounters Jesus, and Jesus reveals supernaturally his knowledge, Nathaniel believes in Jesus and he follows him too. What do these encounters have in common? What's the common denominator? Witness personal testimony from one person to another and with the simplest of invitations come and see come and see that's the consequence of gospel witness people coming and seeing jesus and when they truly encounter jesus christ who alone can take away their sin and make them right with god who alone can give them everlasting life then they can be transformed. This is how God works. This is why 
This is the consequence of gospel witness. And we know this to be true because this is part of our experience. If you are a Christian believer, how did that happen? Humanly speaking, how did that happen? At some prior point, you heard about Jesus. And I dare say you heard about Jesus from someone. A person told you about Jesus, and that telling you was the first in a series of steps of greater understanding. Understanding about Jesus, ultimately leading to faith in Jesus. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a sibling, a sister or a brother. Maybe it was a friend at school. Or a sports teammate. Maybe a uni or a TAFE classmate. Maybe a work colleague. Maybe it was someone you'd never met before. But your first engagement with Jesus came through the witness of others. And this alerts us to the fact that gospel witness, by those who have encountered Jesus to those who have not, remains God's expansion blueprint. Of course, God is capable of direct divine revelation. And in this very passage, we see that, don't we? John the Baptist himself is a recipient of just such revelation. You can see that in verses 33 to 34. He speaks of things that he has not heard from any other person, that God has revealed specially to him by the Holy Spirit. But that is the exception, not the rule. And Jesus does today continue to reveal himself dramatically and directly to people. I have friends who minister in the Muslim world. And they say that a common experience for people in that world who become Christians is that their first encounter with Jesus happens in the form of a dream or a vision. Jesus reveals himself to them in that way. God is capable of direct divine revelation. But that's not his, that's not his modus operandi. That's not how he's chosen to work. And it's interesting, even in the case of Muslim people who have visions and dreams of Jesus, that is always, the result of that is always that they are led to a person who continues that witness personally. And that's because the primary way that, that people hear about Jesus is by peop- other people bearing witness to him. So that is the consequence of gospel witness. The content of gospel witness is Christ crucified. And the consequence of preaching that gospel is that people come and see Jesus. And when they grasp Christ crucified and they realize that they need the crucifixion, the sacrifice that he alone has made for them and can make for them, then they place their faith in him. That's my story. That's Mike's story. To anyone here who is a Christian believer, that's your story too. So gospel witness is central to God's purposes and it's central to the Christian life. But is it central to the Christian life today? Well, the obvious answer is yes. This isn't just a first disciples, first century thing. This remains God's expansion blueprint. But what does it look like then? What does it mean to continue gospel witness? Well, I think going forward, there are, there are two principles that are worth bearing in mind on what it might look like to continue to do gospel witness today. And the first is, take bold steps. If you're a Christian believer, you take bold steps. I remember hearing 
a gymnast interviewed once. And she said the main reason that contestants at her top level faltered on, on say, the, the vault or they fell off the balancing beam wasn't because of a lack of ability. Certainly wasn't because of a lack of training. They trained 16 hours a day. She said it was a lack of intentionality. And of course, that's all bound up in nerves, right? Nerves sets all that off. But because you have nerves, when you see that beam, you've got to hit that beam hard. You've got to be confident. And when you don't, it sets off your whole body, gets thrown out of balance, and you risk crashing out. And our gospel witness needs to have a similar sense of intentionality. Otherwise, we risk crashing out and thinking we can't do it. It needs to consist of bold steps. What that means is, pragmatically, we need to be proactive. A bit like the first disciples. They went out and found people. And it also means sharing intentionally with, with a plan, like with a view to something, with a view particularly to invite, to bring with. Maybe you could start with someone you'd never met before. You could talk to someone in Westfield, Mount Druitt, on the bus. That could be a bit too confronting. And it's telling that all the all of the sharing about Jesus in this passage happens in the context of already established relationships. So that's perhaps a place to start. So maybe, you know, maybe a work colleague over lunch or a uni or TAFE classmate, maybe a sports teammate or a friend at school, maybe a sibling. Maybe you need to share Jesus with a sibling. That's pretty bold. Maybe a parent. My dad's not a Christian. I find it incredibly hard to bring up Jesus with him. And I'm a minister. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> and I think one of the other things that we find hard about this is that we are not in the first century Palestine, 30 AD thereabouts. We don't have Jesus in bodily form here among us where we can go and find someone and say, come along, meet him. But what we do have is his church, one another. And it's one reason why we gather publicly, so people can readily come and see for themselves. Jesus is proclaimed here at Minton Bridge. He's proclaimed in the preaching. He's proclaimed in the Bible reading. He's proclaimed in the songs we sing. He's proclaimed in the prayer and in the fellowshipping that we do together. In all that we do here, we seek to bear witness to Jesus. Bring someone along to church. Be bold in your invite. You can do that. We're all here to bear witness to Jesus together. Invite someone to your discipleship group. Talk to your group about how you might accommodate someone who is at the, the come and see stage of faith. Now, maybe you can't do that. Maybe that, that does throw out the balance of a group. Maybe your discipleship group isn't a good fit, invite someone to Christianity Explored. That's a course that we run every year and we'll, we'll be running another one after Easter. Maybe keep someone in mind for that. They can come along and ask all the questions that they have. Invite someone to the Franklin Graham Crusade, the event. Or just invite them to read the Bible with you. Take them to the Gospels and let them meet Jesus in the testimony of John and of Matthew, and of Mark, and of Luke. Now, that all may sound, still sound very daunting, and it is. 
And in this passage, what we see is a very positive example, right? A very positive example of what happens when people testify to others about Jesus. Seems so easy, doesn't it? This passage provides this wonderful, concrete example of verse 12 of the prologue to all who did receive him. However, much of the rest of John's gospel provides sobering examples of verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's where we find ourselves today. We live in a rapidly post-Christian society. And many of us in this room have seen our culture's posture towards Christianity and towards Jesus himself go from general positivity through ambivalence and indifference now to quite outright hostility. Our culture is confident in its not receiving of Jesus. And so if you step out boldly and you share Jesus, you're going to get pushback. You may meet with some hostility. And I'm not trying to downplay that. And I'm not saying that our experience of bearing witness will be a guaranteed success story, humanly speaking. But we have seen that this is how God chooses to work. And we've also seen that gospel witness is for every believer. It's not just for, it's not just for the ordained professional believer, if I could use that language. It's not just for the minister. In that passage, in this passage, John the Baptist, you could re- refer to as someone who's ordained, specially chosen by God to deliver a message, but Andrew's not. Philip's not. Gospel witness is for every believer because every Christian believer, by virtue of placing your trust in Jesus and receiving his Holy Spirit, bears witness to God's work of grace in your life. Your whole life is a, is a testimony to who Jesus is. So take bold steps. And of course, those, those steps will be emboldened by your conviction of who Jesus is, by the content of your witness, that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God, who alone can remove sin, make people right with God, and therefore ultimately give them life. So take bold steps. And secondly and lastly, Embrace baby steps. Embrace baby steps. One of the most exciting times for a parent of young children is milestones. And one of the most significant milestones is when your child begins to walk. And it's, it's so exciting. You, you watch them go from this, like they're lying still, they can't move at all apart from waving their limbs. And then they can start crawling. And then they can stand. And then one day, they can do it. Put one foot after the other. And it seems so sudden and dramatic, doesn't it? Look, honey, look, she's walking. And in terms of growth milestones, it is dramatic, and you can put a date on it. But of course, it's not something that's actually happened overnight, is it? It's been days and weeks and sometimes months of incremental progress in these areas. And even when the walking finally happens, it's not like the child can just take off like an Olympic sprinter. They need to take Baby steps. Jesus' invitation to Andrew and Philip's invitation to Nathaniel is instructive. The disciples are still at the come and see stage, at the baby steps stage of faith. Andrew, Simon, Philip, Nathaniel, they all have vastly incomplete understandings of what it means for Jesus to be the, the Messiah. In Nathaniel's case, you know, quite particular assumptions. You will have heard it. I love the way that James read it, you know, when Philip says, we found, I found the Messiah. He's Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. 
And Nathaniel was recorded as saying, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he meets Jesus, and Jesus displays his supernatural power. And Nathaniel goes completely to the other end of the spectrum. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Does Nathaniel have any idea what these categories really mean? What these titles mean? Not really. And the rest of John's Gospel charts the growing understanding and still occasional misunderstandings of Jesus' disciples. But what John, the author, is encouraging his readers to do, and therefore what he's encouraging his readers today, you and I, to do, is to take steps of faith from partial understanding to full understanding, to make a start in a journey of discipleship. Full knowledge is not a requirement to start following Jesus. How can it be? And so maybe, you know, maybe if that's you, if that's where you're at, maybe, you know, pick up Mike's test drive language from last week. Take a test drive with Jesus. You can do that. Of course, you can't stay there. But you can start there. And the spiritual development of Jesus' first followers shows the importance of taking steps of faith in response to your present understanding of Jesus. And this also means that for those of us who who are Christian believers, for those of us sharing Jesus with people, we need to be aware and patient with people. Maybe you can remember what it was like to experience your, your own dawning comprehension of who Jesus is. A comprehension that over time blossomed into personal faith, but one that began with perhaps not knowing that much about the Bible, not knowing which books were in the New Testament and which books were in the Old Testament. One that began with maybe asking what seemed like stupidly obvious questions or taking a long time to unlearn a particular ungodly behaviour. We need to be prepared to embrace the baby steps of those we are bringing to Jesus for the first time the baby steps that they may only be ready to take themselves. So take bold steps and embrace baby steps because the content of our gospel witness is truly world-changing. Jesus who takes away the sin of the world. And the consequence of gospel witness is that people come and see and place their trust in Jesus who has taken away their sin. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then please consider his claim on your life. By all means, take baby steps. But let me encourage you that in God's word and in the community of God's people right here, you have all you need to keep taking those baby steps in Jesus' direction. And if you are a Christian believer, it is worth pausing and considering that though God could reveal Christ to people, in any number of ways and bring them to faith in him in any any number of direct divine ways, he chooses this way. The all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe chooses to involve his people in the salvation of other people. What a privilege. That is a privilege. And so daunting as it may be, take bold steps of sharing about Jesus. Because that's how God will continue to change people's lives until Christ returns and we all, at last, get to see him face to face. Let's pray.
loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus into the world. We thank you that Jesus took on flesh and became a human like us and that we can have a relationship with you through him, that he can die in our place and rise to life and put away the judgment and consequences of sin for good. And I pray for those of us whom you have called already, whose lives have already been transformed by Jesus, may you give us the boldness we need to testify to the truth about Jesus. And for those of us in this room who may be not quite ready to make that step, Lord, may you help uh, us to take the baby steps that are needed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we've heard the word of God tonight, and the word of God itself encourages us not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word.